This is a Rooster Teeth production. Which infamous serial killer refused to eat his last meal before execution? Find out who on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we discuss topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. An exploration of the creepy and unexplained, pulled from history and the headlines of today. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. On Tuesday, January 24th, 1989, notorious serial killer Ted Bundy was scheduled for death by electric chair, aka Old Sparky, after sitting on death row for 10 years. Set to take place at the Florida State Prison, the execution drew crowds outside, hundreds chanting in favor of and celebrating Bundy's final hours, while mourning the 36 victims who died at Bundy's depraved hand. Per the state of Florida, a condemned prisoner is granted a last meal, and despite the horrors of his crimes, Bundy was no exception. However, unlike most condemned prisoners, Ted Bundy declined a meal. Still, it's customary, so upon refusal of a special meal, Bundy was given the standard meal of steak, eggs, toast, and hash browns around 4.50 a.m. He didn't eat any of it. At 7 a.m., Ted Bundy was led to the electric chair. At 7.16 a.m., he was declared dead by electrocution. So, maybe you've guessed it, but in this week's episode, Jessica and I are discussing the last meals of death row prisoners. Where and when the tradition started, why and some of the standards and parameters different states practice. We'll also get into some of the more unique last meal requests documented. Jess, this was a topic that I really did not know much before going into researching. I am from Canada. We don't have the death penalty there. And so it's just something that besides the times that I am, you know, maybe reading about a you know serial killer, it doesn't really come up. Oh, agreed. I obviously have lived in the States all my life. And so I am very familiar with the uh, death sentence and all of that, I have not actually thought about. I know that they get last meals, but I actually did not know the details of it. So this was very interesting to learn about. But, you know, first off, where did the concept of a last meal arise from? And while there's no one event that we can point to, there have been notable instances throughout history that resemble last meals in the sense of how we've come to understand them today. Roman gladiators took part in a feast called, I'm probably butchering this, but Siona Libera, Libera, or Sina Libera. I've seen different spellings and pronunciations, which is the night before they headed to their death in the Colosseum. The Aztecs provided feasts to captured warriors they selected for ritual sacrifice. Inmates in 16th century England shared a meal with their executioner, which must have made for some uh-huh. pretty interesting dinner conversation. I, yeah, I guess it's like that was supposed to be a, a symbol of, we'll talk about this later, but a symbol of the separation between capital punishment and murder. But yes. I, I I can't even imagine being like, yeah, let's sit down and have a have a beer together. No, it's not something that I personally would prefer um, Mm -hmm. if I was about to uh, be murdered. Um, No. So that's just me. That's just me. (laughs) Yeah. I would be like, I would be like, let's play skee-ball. Winner doesn't get executed. (laughs) And then I would play the best skee-ball game of my life. But on the subject of capital punishment in, in England, 
there's even a record of Newgate Prison having death row inmates stop at the pub on their way to the Tyburn Fair Gallows. Mm-hmm. And again, another kind of surreal story. But since England abolished the death penalty in 1965, these stories are all a relic of the past. And there are still 55 countries that practice the death penalty. However, there's this particular fascination with this ritual in the true crime obsessed United States. There are loads of academic papers, scholarly journals, articles, podcasts, kind of like this one, and books that detail the grim and seemingly mundane details of last meals given to prisoners. And unlike a lot of other countries, we report on the details publicly in the U.S. by the free Mm -hmm. media, right down to all the granular minutia. Like, we, you know, when we just talked about it with Ted Bundy, like what what did he ask for or not ask for? What did he get? You know, what did he do with it? It, it all gets put out there. It's pretty brutal in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's raw, I think. Yes, that's, the, that's a better word for it. It's very raw, yeah. For the purposes of this episode, though, we'll be focusing on last meals given to those facing state-sanctioned capital punishment in the U.S. Yeah, at the turn of the 20th century, the rise of the modern administrative state and a change in criminal ideology transformed the way that the government treated the incarcerated. The days of public floggings in the street were at an end, replaced by the concept of rehabilitation and moral improvement. And it's during this time that the standardized last meal emerged as the country's own like code of ethics seemed to evolve. But when does the last meal actually happen in relation to when someone is executed? Well, the request goes in a few days before, and most last meals are given in the one to two days before execution, though some, like in Ted Bundy's case, are provided the morning or day of. In Oklahoma, prisoners are given their last meal the night before between 5 to 7 p.m., so I guess it's technically like a, you know, last supper, if you will. (laughs) Yes. I also, and this sounds really, really morbid and gross, but like, I can't imagine having like eating something right before you go. I just feel like that would cause a lot of issues. Yes. And I I just think about like the nerves I have, like the, when I have nerves for something and I generally don't feel like I can eat and this would be the thing that I could have the most nerves for. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. But you might be interested to learn that there are limits to what kind of meal and foods a death row inmate can request, like however most of these limits are determined on a state-by-state basis. Mm-hmm. So almost all states have um, instituted like a preset budget cap. In Florida, for example, prisoners have a dollar cap of $40 total for their entire meal, which is generous compared to Oklahoma, where the Corrections Department protocol states that requests cannot exceed $25. Yeah. And I saw a lot of like different sources reporting on Oklahoma's cap because in some places it was Mm -hmm. saying like $15, which to me is is minuscule. Yeah. I saw 20 somewhere. Yeah. It's very, very low. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's kind of a, you know, fast food meal in some places in L.A. at Mm -hmm. least. Mm -hmm. Um, And if a prisoner asks for a meal that costs more than the budget allows, prison officials will substitute how they see fit. So, for example, if a prisoner wants a steak dinner, but that costs too much, they would get a hamburger steak substituted instead of that. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, and and most of the time, the meals are prepared by a chef who is also an inmate at the prison, albeit one that's not on death row. Okay. There was actually a book I came across, and it was a former former inmate 
who was a prison chef and had prepared all these death row meals that was that wrote about it and detailed some of the you know more unusual last meals. And I, I think it was also kind of a cookbook. So he was Ooh. describing what the meals were and how to make them. That's pretty fascinating, if I must yeah. say. From what I've read, though, the distinction for most expensive meal goes to Robert Dale Conkin, who stabbed his lover to death and dismembered his remains. But then, you know, still got kind of a smorgasbord here. In 2005, Conkin was executed by lethal injection in Georgia, but not before enjoying a spread of filet mignon wrapped in bacon, deveined shrimp sautéed in garlic butter with lemon, baked potato with butter, sour cream, chives, and real bacon bits, asparagus with hollandaise sauce. I love hollandaise sauce. Mm -hmm. French bread with butter, goat cheese, cantaloupe, apple pie with vanilla bean ice cream. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's quite... Yeah, that is a smorgasbord, right? You killed a lot of people or yeah. your lover, mm-hmm. but yeah, and then dismembered them. Okay. But a guy's got to eat chess. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but yeah, so his last meal was very extravagant. But to reiterate, last meals are not the free for all that perhaps movie and TV would lead us to believe they are, which was my perception coming into this. I kind of just thought the last meal equivalent of a get out of jail free card, which is here, whatever you want, the world's your oyster, choose whatever you want, whatever it is we'll get for you. That's not the case. Yeah, that's what I thought too. You know, my, my first thought was like, oh, well, what, you know, what if they don't want to have a last meal, but they just want like a bunch of alcohol or like, you know, uh, a doobie, some yeah, weed. Yeah, give them blunt. <laughs> give them a blunt or something. But yeah, tobacco and alcohol are typically, you know. And anything else you can smoke are, no. Yes, absolutely. Yes. According to the Florida Department of Corrections website, John Spenkelink, Spenkelink, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The first murderer to be executed in Florida after the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976 shared a flask of Jack Daniels whiskey with the prison superintendent who came up with the idea. Maybe Hmm. this prison superintendent just wanted some whiskey. I think that's probably <laughs> it. He was probably having a hard day. You had an execution coming up. You might be having a hard day. Absolutely. Yeah. Death row inmates also cannot have a last meal that is home cooked by a friend or family member, which was a question I had because I'm like, well, why not? And then my, of course, like my immediate thought was like, what if they like put poison in it to try and kill them before they get like yeah. Executed or my cartoonish brain goes to like, <laughs> or they try to put a lockpick in the pie that they made so the prisoner can escape. Exactly. A <laughs> you know? hundred. Yes. I didn't see Durr. I didn't even think about that. Yes. But most prisons will only let prisoners choose foods that can be prepared within the prison system, meaning they have the ingredients on hand and the means to make them. Virginia prisons have a 28-day rotating menu and prisoners facing imminent execution are obligated to choose from one of those like 28 selections served in the mess hall. But what's interesting though with this is if it's your last meal, but but haven't you already been eating that 28-day rotating menu? Is it just the mere fact that in this case you get to pick instead of them giving it to you every day? I think so. Do you think that you eat more than 28 different varieties of meal in your life? I, n- not recently. No, I'm eating no. the same shit a lot, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would huh. be probably pretty happy that somebody would make me what I wanted from that 28 days. But the fact that they make these meals in-house also means that you can't actually request food from an outside restaurant or fast food joint. So like no Big Macs, no McDonald's. Aww. If it was, if it were me, I'd be like, give me the chair now. <laughs> 
Like, I don't oh, want to no, live. Oh, no, I know. You, you love McDonald's. It's like <laughs> your do. favorite thing ever. I You're do. a little trash panda. Well, <laughs> I, did, I did stop eating red meat like two months ago, though. Two and a half you months tell ago. tell me this. Oh, has it helped you? I feel a lot better. Yeah, I have to be honest. That's great. So, you know, as aforementioned, like prisons don't typically let you go to a fast food place, but some have done it and it's rare. Mario Albert Pruitt was executed in 1999 for killing five people in Fort Smith, Arkansas. As part of his last meal, he was granted Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza and four Burger King Whoppers. Mm -hmm. By default, I would assume that most fast food companies don't want their brand associated with capital punishment, except... There was a pretty wild instance in 1985 when Pizza Hut aired a commercial in South Carolina that showed a condemned prisoner ordering a Pizza Hut pizza by delivery for their last meal and like getting it, what? you know, yeah, getting it really efficiently and oh, so happy. But oh my gosh, that, yeah, that commercial got pulled real quick. <laughs> I, real yeah, quick. I can't, I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can definitely see that. Anyway, there was a paper published in a 2012 issue of the journal Appetite that provided a detailed analysis of what the author refers to as a, quote, death row nutrition. Although it's still cited, it created a bit of controversy due to some of the methods the authors used to obtain their research. Nevertheless, it offers some very interesting stats about death row meals taken between uh, 2002 and 2006 in the U.S. from 247 meals. Here's some info. The average meal came in at 2,756 calories. Woof. Woof. Yeah, that's 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 a lot. That's uh, a lot. For sure. In one, in one sitting, yes. Um, four requests from Texas and Oklahoma were estimated to have gone beyond 7,000 calories. Yeah. I don't even know how your body could like. They must not be eating all. They must be like, you take a few bites of this one thing you requested. Yeah, there's no way your body. I, I'd go in a shock or have a heart attack or something. Mm -hmm. Um, 70% of the pr prisoners asked for fried food. That mm -hmm. makes sense. I would definitely be asking for some fried food. And then three inmates wanted some Diet Coke. Hmm. It, which is strange yeah. because you must, you must really like the taste of Diet Coke because I feel like, I know, no, like yeah. Like just get the regular, <laughs> get the regular Coke guys. Come Give on. Give me all the sugar. Have some perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get into some of the more unusual requests and roles, but first, a few words from our sponsors. These are the sponsors that make 30 Morbid Minutes possible, so thank you. And the first of them is Surfshark. You know when you're up at 3 a.m. like me surfing the web and researching your morbid curiosities? Well, don't forget about your online protection. Websites, hackers, and third-party companies all monitor your online behavior. Even your internet service provider can monitor and sell your online behavior to other third parties. In short, you explore and do your thing online, they profit off of it. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a VPN, it's easy to use and can help you prevent all of what Jess just said. It masks your location and makes it more difficult to distinguish you from a crowd of users. And it doesn't end there. Let's pretend you would like to have even more security than that. In that case, Surfshark also has your back. They have an awesome product called Surfshark Alert, which alerts you every time your personal data has been leaked online. You hear the Surfshark roar. Do sharks roar? I don't actually know. Like, how would you qualify the sound a shark makes? You know I'm going to Google this now. Rawr! They also offer Surfshark Search, whoa, 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 which you can use as a search engine without any tracking or targeted ads. So try Surfshark risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Mm -hmm. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash 30mm. That's 30mm. 
Enter promo code 30MM for 83% off and three extra months free. That's surfshark.deal slash 30MM. So today's episode is also brought to you by Diet Smoke. And if you've ever done edibles, you know that it can be difficult to control the dose. I have gone through this personally. And sometimes you can get a lot higher than you have intended. Mm -hmm. Once you eat it, there's no going back. Trust me, you just got to sit there on your couch, stone out of your mind, waiting for the, I don't, just, just waiting, just, just waiting. (laughs) Yes, just waiting, which is why you, you know, it's also good to like play with the amount that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I need like the perfect medium high, I hit up my friends at Diet Smoke for their delicious Delta 8 THC gummies. Yeah, Delta 8 is simply a slightly less potent THC. So the THC that you're probably most familiar with is Delta 9. And while both are natural to the cannabis plant, Diet Smoke extracts their Delta 8 from hemp. And you might think this is a loophole, but it's kind of the secret recipe to getting a smooth, stable and most importantly, legal high, it's kind of like a body high. Yes, yes. And diet smoke is legal in most states, and it's also non-prescription. I live in Texas, so diet smoke is perfect for me. Uh, So just check out Diet Smoke's website to see if they ship their delicious gummies to your state. And you might be asking yourself, I know Jess is, does diet smoke really get you high? Of course it does. (laughs) (laughs) The high that you can get with diet smoke is actually best described as somewhere between the chillness of CBD and that classic stone feeling that you get with regular weed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just don't want to be stoned out of my mind. So this is just Mm -hmm. kind of like a nice, ah, even keel. Diet smoke isn't light. It's just right. (laughs) (laughs) Diet smoke does come in in two delicious flavors, blue raspberry and watermelon. I personally like blue raspberry, but hey, it's trying both. I just... I love watermelon in general, so that's the way to go. And and each gummy is infused with 10 milligrams of Delta-8 THC derived from American-grown hemp. Also, Diet Smoke's Delta-8 gummies are low in sugar, fat-free, and delicious. And did I mention that they're also legal? I think I did. <laughs> so when CBD isn't enough and traditional THC is too much, enjoy the smooth buzz of Diet Smoke. Use promo code 30MM for 20% off your order so go to dietsmoke.com and use the promo code 30MM. That's going to get you 20% off your order. Hell yeah. That's dietsmoke.com, promo code 30MM for 20% off. All right, now back to the show, Elise. How does an inmate's privacy work where meal disclosure is concerned? So prisoners in the U.S. can request that the details of their last meal remain undisclosed to the public. However, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice did publicly post details of last meals to their website until 2004 when they stopped this practice for complaints that it was offensive. Jeez. Uh, oh, um, but speaking yeah. of Texas, this is one state that no longer obliges last meal requests because there was an incident. And just what is this? I don't know if you've ever heard of this, like no. being a Texan, but in 2011, Lawrence Russell Brewer was scheduled for death by lethal injection. He was a murderer and a white supremacist, and the murder he committed was also a horrible hate racist crime. Brewer requested an extravagant feast, which I'll read to you now. Two chicken fried steaks smothered in gravy with sliced onions, one triple meat bacon cheeseburger, one cheese omelet with ground beef, one large bowl of fried okra with ketchup, one pound of barbecue with a half a loaf of white bread. You gotta have your white bread with your barbecue. Mm-hmm. Three fajitas with fixings, one meat lover's pizza, three root beers, then a pint of ice cream and a slab of peanut butter fudge. 
Uh, so yeah, he asked for a lot of shit and they gave him all of it. But he when the food arrived, that. yep. When the food arrived, Brewer refused to eat. And one eyewitness claims that he he said he wasn't hungry, while another account said he was too nervous to eat. Whatever the reason, it was perceived as defiant, and it ended up ruffling a lot of feathers. Yes, particularly with Texas Senator John Whitmire, who effectively ended an 87-year tradition with one letter and one call to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Whitmire called Brewer's last meal an act of manipulation and said that, quote, no death row inmate prior to execution should be catered to. It's just common sense. If you're fixing to execute someone under the laws of the state because of a hideous crime that someone has committed, I'm not looking to comfort him. He didn't give his victim any comfort or a choice of a last meal, end quote. Mm -hmm. And, And following Brewer's case, inmates receiving capital punishment in Texas now eat whatever's on deck in the menu that day that other prisoners eat. So no more bespoke last meal. And it really goes without saying, but the practice of giving death row inmates a choice for their last meal is a pretty polarizing one. Like John Whitmire, there are many in the discourse who do not feel that individuals who have committed such heinous acts deserve any degree of generosity or kindness extended in their last moments. Or it can sound kind of backwards to grant someone in their last moments of life the very thing that sustains it. But maybe it's not about the person sentenced to death. Maybe it's about those who have to go on living. The BBC spoke with John Sheldon, or Virginia death penalty lawyer, who had this to say about the last meals. Quote, as a ritual, the last meal is intended not to comfort the condemned, but to soften for society the harsh fact that a human is about to be killed with the law's full sanction. End mm-hmm. quote. Yeah, it's, it's more for the people that have to follow through on the act. Yep. The thought process also aligns with that of Catherine Zambrana, a professor at the University of Florida who teaches a course on the death penalty, said Zambrana, acceptance of the meal originally symbolized forgiveness to the executioner and justice system. To some, it adds humanity back into a less than humane situation. It Mm -hmm. demonstrates that a state-sanctioned execution is different from murder. It creates distinction that the intention of justice is not cruelty and that the perpetrator is shown a compassion they did not show their victims. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's the whole ideology behind this is, you know, what defines this act for murder? Mm -hmm. And I I get it. I mean, I get it and I don't because (laughs) again, yeah. I, I yeah. spent the majority of my life in a society where it really wasn't something that I had to morally wrestle with. Mm-hmm. I do get the idea of that, you know, there's a system that's created where there are a lot of people that have to act out on the orders that are coming from above them. Mm-hmm. And you need to create a system where those people that on the ground level and the grassroots level have to engage with this horrific act still have to be able to go home and look at themselves in the mirror and, and, maintain their own humanity. Absolutely. So I I totally understand this perspective. Um, But moving on, in in 2013, Amnesty International launched an anti-capital punishment campaign that featured depictions of the last meals of prisoners who were later exonerated of their crimes or presumed innocent. So they did this whole photography campaign detailing people who who had been executed, but that were later proven innocent or, or presumed innocent which is pretty harrowing to think about. It really is. Mm -hmm. Like that makes, 
That yeah. doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. In Europe, it suggested that providing last meals was a way for executioners and the ruling to tell prisoners and the public that, quote, we're going to kill you, but it's nothing personal, end quote. <laughs> Again, showing humanity for those passing the sentence. For the more superstitious, the idea of quashing any grudges with those who may come back as very angry ghosts, as you could say. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to execute someone that's going to come back and haunt you. So just give them the Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not have a haunting that, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could do without that. Last meals generally tend to hit one of two categories. And you touched on this earlier, Jess, with the fried foods. Um, so yes. comfort foods, so like fried foods and sodas, your Diet Cokes, if you will. Uh, sweets or or the other category is status foods. So like steak, oysters, lobster, the stuff that, you know, we as society would think like, oh, this is very high profile to eat. This is mm-hmm. expensive. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there have been some unusual and notable requests that tend to deviate from one of these two categories. Jonathan Wayne Nobles, who became a very staunch Catholic convert in prison, requested the Eucharist before he was executed in Texas in 1998 for stabbing two young women. I do get that one for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I do know like a lot of prisoners when when they go to prison, they turn to religion, they'll read the Bible or or whatever religion it may be. 1960 Iowa, Victor Harry Figure, a Michigan drifter, killed a doctor he found in the yellow pages. When he was executed three years later, his last meal request was a single olive with the pit left in it. So after the execution, the pit was found in his suit pocket, and it's believed that Figure wanted to be buried with the pit, so an olive tree, which was a symbol of peace, would grow from his grave. Thomas Grasso, convicted of killing two women in the 90s, requested a smorgasbord for his last meal, including mussels, clams, spare ribs, cheeseburgers, strawberry milkshakes, pie, and a can of SpaghettiOs with meatballs. He got everything he asked for, but the prison chef used, again, we talked about this earlier, substituting, the prison chef used spaghetti instead of SpaghettiOs. Thomas Grasso's last words were, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. I love that he said, I want the press to know yeah, this. I know. This is this I'm, this is a crime. I'm I like I'm sorry this, I'm laughing, but that is funny. No, to I me. mean like I, I just love the the audacity kind of here. Philip Workman, who killed a police officer, declined a meal, but instead he wanted a vegetarian pizza to be delivered to a homeless individual, which the prison refused to do. But the community got wind of this and started ordering pizzas and distributing them to the homeless, which hmm. Hmm. Good community. Yeah. Yeah. In 1992, Ricky Ray Rector, who killed a police officer in Arkansas and then essentially gave himself a lobotomy, shooting himself in the head after, was given a final meal of steak, fried chicken, and cherry Kool-Aid, but famously said he wanted to save his pecan pie for later. Which, like, it sounds sounds like a quirky, funny, and memorable, like, you know, you're on death row and you get your last meal and you say, I'll save the pecan pie for later. Right. It sounds like uh-huh. a, it sounds like a it's a quirky thing. Funny even. But remember, he had brain damage. Um, so he he wasn't making a joke. He just did not understand what was happening to him. Oh, yeah. And this was a big deal at the time. And there was a lot of discourse that arose because there was this idea that someone who wasn't of sound mind and not entirely aware of what was happening shouldn't be given capital punishment. And There was a lot of pressure on Bill Clinton, who was president at the time, to stop the execution. He didn't. His rationale was that 
Rector was of sound mind at the time the crime happened, so it should go through. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. and I, I could see how that. I see. Yeah, I can see how that could be a very mm-hmm. muddy area. Very muddy. Yep. Though yep. I do think I do think if he was of sound mind at the time, saying the pie thing would have been you know I even though this person was uh, not a good person, I would have been I would have respected the joke, but I yes. Know. You, we are comedy respecters. I get that. Mm-hmm. But he, he wasn't of sound mind and he also did a horrible thing. So yes, proceed absolutely. Jessica. <laughs> Ronnie Lee Gardner was executed by a firing squad on June 18th, 2010 in Utah as retribution for murdering two men. Gardner's last meal was elaborate and included steak, lobster tail, apple pie, vanilla ice cream in seven up. Now, Jessica, I noticed that you're leaving out a very important detail here. What am I leaving out, Elise? Which is that Gardner also requested to watch the Lord of the Rings film trilogy while eating his last meal and his request was granted. You know, (sighs) Elise, how do you feel about this? I I don't know if he deserved the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All Um, three of them? I don't know if he deserved it, but what a way to go, right? (laughs) That is actually, if I, man, if I was on death row, I would ask for the same thing because not maybe Lord of the Rings, I would probably do like Harry Potter or something, but like being able to just like, as I'm on my way out, I'm able to enter that alternate world, Harry Potter world. It'll be in Hogwarts. So like, as I'm leaving, I'm like in Harry Potter world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I get that. What, what would you choose for your last meal? (laughs) That's a good question. And as we've been chatting, I've been thinking about it and this is going to sound cliche and it's not because I'm Italian or maybe it is because I've been eating Italian food ever since I was a little babe, but it, it would be any sort of like ravioli, garlic bread, pizza. Like I just, I could eat Italian food all the time. That and like a hamburger and French fries, but I think I would go with the Italian food for sure. What was, about you? You think I'm going to choose poutine? No. What is it? Is it poutine though? No. I honestly, like, I don't know if I would choose a meal. Like, I mean, I guess, okay, if I'm on death row, I don't know if I would choose a meal. If I just had to, if it was the last meal of my life unrelated to me on the verge of receiving capital punishment, probably sushi. And then, and then like a burger, sushi burger combo. God, I thought I'd be McDonald's knowing you. Well, even like you can't get McDonald's, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I would, I would wave the red meat at that point, I think. But if you, like in the case of like Gardner, if you were to get a movie to watch, what, what would that be for you? Oh, Lord of the Rings. That would be, okay. hundred percent. But if it was one of the three, which one would you Two towers, baby. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, for me, yeah. Two towers. I mean, the, God, man. Helm's deep. (sighs) That's what I would choose. There you go. This episode has been complicated because there's there are so many moral quandaries at play. I think you and I don't maybe have specific opinions on all of this. I feel like I am. It's like I I see both sides. If I'm being honest, you know, one side is I don't think that we should be killing each other, even though those people did kill other people. And then the other side of it is like if I was if my family was brutally murdered by somebody, I think I'd feel a lot differently. I think I'd, I would know what my answer would be. It's just so complicated because it's just so awful yeah, in so I think many ways. You also have to kind of dial it back. Because for me, it's like, okay, I would understand wanting to have compassion for the people who have to follow through on all of these 
this protocol. But then at the end of the day, you have to rewind and think like, do I even think that the, you, you know, to formulate your opinion and whether you think someone should get a last meal, you should rewind to think whether you even think death penalty should be a thing. It's a, it's a very mm-hmm. complicated and loaded issue. I don't mm-hmm. think I have a specific opinion because I just, I just don't even know if I'm informed enough on, on the broader scope of it to make that opinion. I agree. The only information I do have is just like my own moral values and, and thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. This was pretty dark and, dark. and I, we, we made light of some of it. Um, yeah. I don't feel as bad making light of it when it is, um, you know, murderers. Yes, for sure. For sure. But yeah, I, you know, it's, this was a heavy one. Yeah. And thank you for everyone for sticking with us and listening through these heavier episodes. But we did get some really great suggestions from so many of you from talking about loving them. Yeah. We've gotten some really good ones, um, you know, including like spontaneous human combustion. Mm -hmm. Love it. uh, The brazen bull torture device, the Uh Paris catacombs, like, there's there's been some really good ones. Um, we're keeping a list. So, um, yeah, pl- please keep listening. Yeah. Keep them coming. And there were some I had some suggestions that like crossed over with my list. And I was like, OK, this feels great. We're all on the same page. Here. Yes. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. But just want to say like a huge thank you to everyone who has been listening and and supporting us and leaving reviews. The reviews are so helpful. Mm-hmm. Just, Thank you. Yeah. And because we would love to make a second season of the show. And yeah. we're, we're about, you know, just just over midway of our first season here. I know. Oh, it's so weird. This has happened so fast. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like a steam train. <laughs> I know. Next week, we have an episode that, Jessica, you're not going to be super excited for this one. I am dreading it. But, Ouija. you know. Ouija. I think, yeah, the we the Ouija. Let's record this at like nine a.m. in the morning, okay? I, I, <laughs> I need, think we are. I need the whole. Di- <laughs> I hope. Yeah, actually, I think I think we are too. Um, because yeah, I can't. Uh-uh. It's it's interesting. I I played with the Ouija board a lot as a kid too, but had no lasting like stigma with it at all. <laughs> Maybe because you're just dead inside. I think that's it. <laughs> Yes, we're we're covering next week the dark history of the Ouija board. So I'm sorry, Jess. It had to be done. It had to be done. I know. And I've actually seen some comments on the sleep paralysis episode where people are like, I didn't peg Jessica for a Ouija board gal. (laughs) I'm like, me neither. (laughs) I thought she was a horse gal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. We have a we have a Ouija board at our funhouse studio right now. (laughs) Well, I'm good thing I'm not there. We ain't whipping that out. Oh, no, you did. You were in the studio, Jessica. I know. I had, if you would have told me that that thing was in the studio, I would not have stepped foot in your studio. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, nothing happened. But but as per usual, please tweet us at 30 Morbid Minutes at Elise Willems at Jessica Vasami. Uh, yeah, continue to let us know some topics you want us to cover. Let us uh, know your comments, your thoughts, and please review us. That would be really great on Apple, Spotify, anywhere that you find your podcasts please. or listen to your podcasts. We, we, it would really be greatly appreciated. So. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening. Well, Jess, I'm going to go dust off the old planchette and get the Ouija board out of storage for next, next I'm week. I'm going to, I'm going to head out. I'm going to go the other opposite direction. Okay. Well, I'll come so. with. 
I'll get the board and I'll come. No, with. that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to come with me. Okay. okay well, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you. Okay. Bye, Elise. Bye. I'll see you bye. there. See you soon. Bye, Elise. See. Okay. But I will see you. No. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. But bye till then. Bye.